The words of Jesus today, he who welcomes you welcomes me, or in other translations, he who receives me, he who receives you welcomes me or receives me. That, That set of phrases is so important and was so important in the early church as they were recalling the sayings and the teachings of Jesus. That phrasing, he who welcomes you welcomes me, he who welcomes me welcomes him who sent me, finds its way into all four of the Gospels in one form or another. It finds its way into Matthew at least three times. What we hear today, once when Jesus says uh, that receiving a little child is part of the kingdom of heaven, but then again in Matthew 25 when he talks about recognizing Jesus and ministering to Jesus in the service of others. So we'll get back to that in a minute. But this whole idea of the chain of of recognition, the chain of revelation, the chain of the plan of salvation is contained in this one short verse. Today's gospel is only three verses long. Uh, Justin is jealous because he had a very long and complicated gospel. I allegedly got a very simple gospel. We'll see how it goes. But, But as we think about the plan of salvation, Jesus is tying all of the elements together in one concise sentence. He lays out the fact that the plan of salvation begins with God and that those who receive the apostles, those he's sending out, are receiving Jesus. And those who receive Jesus are receiving the Father who began this whole plan of salvation. And of course, the fourth link is those who hear and receive the apostles and then become disciples, become apostles, become prophets themselves. The whole plan, the whole plan for the evangelism and the reconciliation of the world in one short sentence. It's no wonder that it was uh, proclaimed and held and recorded forever in the four Gospels. This is very much the kind of thing that Jesus says when Philip comes to him in the Gospel of John and says, uh, show us the Father, just show us the Father and we'll be satisfied. And what Jesus says is, have I been with you this long and you still do not know me? I and the Father are one. This emerging theology of the work of the Trinity, the emerging recognition of it is all part of what we're talking about today. But apostolicity, being sent, these apostles go out and make new apostles and it spreads and comes all the way to us right down to Bishop David Reed in our diocese, a successor of the apostles. And the apostles make more apostles. They make more disciples of Jesus, which is where we all come into it. But there are no spectators in the plan of salvation. There is no one who is able to become a kind of disciple in waiting. There's no staying on the bench. Once you are called by Jesus, once you recognize and receive the apostolic message, you too are then drafted into service, whether you like it or not. The vocational call on every Christian is to apostolicity, to be sent to others, to tell others, to help others recognize and receive Jesus. 
In the first chapter of John, the prologue of John, Jesus is described by John as coming to his own people and they received him not. Coming to his own people and they welcomed him not. But to as many as welcomed him, to as many as received him, he gives power to become the children of God. Now let's talk for just a second about who are the children of God because what we do know is every one of us, every person on the face of this earth is made in the image and likeness of God. And that means that Christian or not, all are in the image and likeness of God. And Jesus' death on the cross is for the sins, not just of those who believe in Jesus Christ, but for the sins of the world. And that makes for what Jesus says in Matthew 25 to be a particularly interesting turn on this whole theme of welcoming, recognizing, and receiving Jesus. You'll remember Matthew 25 is where Jesus talks about the terms of judgment. And to those that he's speaking to, sheep and goats, you'll remember them. He says, when you did these things, when you gave water to those who were thirsty, when you gave clothing to those who were naked, when you did all of the wonderful good deeds that are there, pretty simple things, pretty basic things. You don't need a certification in social work or in psychology or in medicine or in theology to do the kind of ministry that Jesus says is part of the day of judgment in Matthew 25. What he says is, when you did it to one of the least of these, you did it to me. And then some who are hearing this are very surprised. They say, when did we ever see you and overlook you that way? We would have never done so. They would never overlook the ambassador of the Father. They would treat him with all of the royal respect that was due. And he says, well, when you ignored the little ones, you ignored me. And then he says, when you did not ignore them, you did not ignore me, and you ministered, in fact, to me. That means that Jesus' words, where he says at the, uh, the Great Commission, lo, I'm with you always, to the close of the ages, doesn't just mean that Jesus is kind of shadowing us as we go about our ministry, as we go about the work of apostles and prophets in the world that needs to hear the message. He's not just standing there beside us. He's already there in the image and likeness of those who are in front of us that we go to. So our actual opportunity of receiving Jesus is not limited to the reception that we give to those who teach us the word of God, who turn us into disciples. We actually find Jesus in those who are in front of us. Now, there's a tremendous opportunity for this right now because if we accept the vocation to be prophets and apostles to the world, particularly in our own context now in the United States, we have an opportunity to speak a prophetic word that will perhaps help bring the love of God to those who do not have it and might be a big step forward in trying to solve some of the immediate and long-term tensions that face us as a country. I do not believe that the solution to national reconciliation is found in the Congress or in any political party or any platform or any law that's on the books. I believe that what we say and pray for in our collect for today, that we can all be brought into unity 
in the teaching of the apostles and that we can grow together and be built up together into a holy temple, a holy temple acceptable to God our Father, is where the solution to our trouble will be met. In individual, one-on-one, small steps that will build each person into a part of that unified and respectful and loving community that God desires, and it's why Jesus came in the first place. I believe that this can be done and must be done by Christians who accept the challenge to visit those who are naked and hungry and all the rest of them, but I want to talk particularly about people who are prisoners, because I think whether you are knowing someone who is behind bars or not, there are plenty of prisoners in the city of San Antonio, in the state of Texas, in our, in our nation and in the world, who are prisoners of their own attitudes, who are prisoners of their own judgmentalness, who are prisoners of their own hate, who can be spoken to with a prophetic word of love from a Christian disciple who goes to them. And that word of love can be the cool drink of water that Jesus talks about in the gospel reading today. You see, as until we are converted out of ourselves, we're always asking the wrong question in life. Living in the United States of America, living in any country, is not about what's in it for me. Living in the United States and living in any country as a Christian, the question is not what's in it for me, it's what may I do for you? How may I bring the gospel of Jesus Christ to you? How may I bring you freedom and peace that will set you free in ways that you never imagined from the prisoner things, the imprisoning things of this very broken and very sinful world? It's hard to speak those kinds of words to your family, to your coworkers, to your children, to those in your neighborhood, but there are plenty of prisoners who need to hear a word of love. The Bible teaches us that if we speak the truth in love, we will be upbuilding ourselves, that the church will grow, that it will become that acceptable temple, that acceptable temple to the Father. St. Francis had a way of putting all of this. Several years ago, you may remember, I I preached a sermon about St. Francis and his prayer and said that he probably didn't write it, that it wasn't known until the 17th or 18th century at the earliest. But all of that aside, it reflects what he believed. One of his greatest moments of personal growth came when he recognized that he had to get out of himself and be able to embrace the world he was seeking to serve in Jesus Christ. And he did it by going right up and breaking all of the social and physical distancing rules that we're stuck with today, but he embraced and held to his breast a leprous man, a dangerous thing to do, but he did it. And in doing that, he saw the face of the leper changed into the face of Jesus. That's why that prayer is so clearly, even though he didn't write it, it's about him. Because when we get out of ourselves and stop asking the question, what's in it for me, but rather, what may I do for you, that we become the kind of loving neighbors that Jesus asks us to be, that Jesus expects us to be.
it can begin with a cup of water. Amen.